0: The Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. We're back, and uh, with a big episode, might I add, who we will, we will introduce in a short period of time, a huge bucket list, uh, one of the top-end ones there, so excited for that, but I'm also excited about a lot of things happening in our industry,
1: uh, yeah, one of yeah. which. Hold on, I need I need to bring something up here. Oh boy, I'm a little I'm a little I'm a little jealous. Oh no! So our good friends over at Shootside Podcast yes. had PST commentator commentator. Uh, I I I mean, wow!
0: Yeah, congratulations! That was really Shoot cool. Side. I'm not gonna lie, that was cool. I gosh, I saw gosh, that. Gosh,
1: you, Travis Bagley, pulling out all the stops.
0: I I actually was using the restroom and flipped through Facebook, and I was like, What? Wait a minute.
1: Yeah, it was real life. It did happen. I would encourage everybody to go watch it. Um, you know, no free ads, but, yeah. you know, uh, I will say their their discussion on uh, places to eat beef. Big so fan. I didn't get to
0: watch it. I just saw the post. Uh, oh, yeah. It's on my. It was good. My things I'm to do
1: tomorrow. I'm jealous. We had Temple Grandin though. <laughs> Pat McAfee, you're next. <laughs> Pat McAfee is next. I, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, no, awesome. Uh, that was good work, good work, Travis and uh, and Ferris. That's uh, pretty cool stuff. Anyway, continue, Trevor. Sorry, I just had to. So interrupt. that's one of the cool things going on in the industry.
0: Um, I got to see the draft, and I got to yep. see the exchange. Really, yep. really awesome stuff that happened, and. I think- I didn't. I wish I would have, but I didn't. Um, some of the chickens that we mentioned in the last episode, 450 bucks for the lot. Did you see this? I'm
1: just saying. I, I think it could have been a wise investment. Did you know
0: why I saw that? Why? Well, the only reason I saw it was because of Walt Webcasting. Oh.
1: You know, I really did thoroughly enjoy that, that entire production that they did. It yes. literally, uh, I was doing dishes at the time which made, made the dishes process. I honestly, if my wife would have left me a whole like, house full of dishes, they would have gotten done because <laughs> broadcast was so entertaining. She's going to want about 34
0: exchanges a year now, just so you can get some chores done. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I feel like the industry couldn't handle 34 exchanges a year. Just uh, Oh, that's true.
0: It would be a little diluted.
1: The amount of money that was uh, exchanged and going to be exchanged, uh, Wow. Yeah, so Walton Webcasting brought that to everybody's
0: attention, as they do always. Um, And the cyber shows are still going on. Um, They have all kinds of things happening, folks. You you know it. If you're a weekly listener, waltonwebcasting.com. I'm sure you're already subscribed. But if you are not, it's only $4.99 a month. That is pocket change. So you can go back and watch the archives of any show that they've ever been at. And there are quite a few of them. So yeah. I use it as a showmanship tool, etc. cetera. Waltonwebcasting.com. Excellent people. And even just an amazing
1: setup there at Walton Webcasting. It's really cool. It's fun. Fun times. Um, I will also say that for those of you looking to purchase genetics, baby calves, bred cows, you name it, make sure you head on over. To ShowCattleConnection.com. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no reason for you people. And I'm talking to you, cattle people. For you people not to get on ShowCattleConnection.com. Get your sale hosted, posted, and get that money roasted. Oh, dropping beats. Anyway, ShowCattleConnection.com. Cool people. Awesome platform. Brought to you by the Went Group. You know, I'm not a cattle guy, but that that's pretty easy to
0: use. Um, I've just went on there to surf. I don't have any interest in buying anything, but my gosh, if I did, I'd certainly know how to.
1: Absolutely. No
0: doubt about it. Um, okay. So folks, we've been talking about this and we are one week away. Not this weekend, but the following weekend, Buckeye Livestock Expo is happening all except the species that we're talking about today.
1: Um, (laughs) No no cattle, but for you sheep and goat and pig people. Yeah,
0: pig, sheep, goat uh, happening at the Holmes County Fairgrounds in Ohio, open to the world. Anybody who wants to travel to Holmes County next weekend, which is June 27th and 28th, we expect huge turnouts. Your judges will be on Saturday. Brent Jennings will have the sheep along in the other ring with Seth Keplinger doing the Hogs. On Sunday, we have Dale Hummel doing the Goats, Ryan Rash doing the Hogs. So going to be an awesome, awesome event. We have show boxes for prizes, of course, banners, cash payouts. It's going to be a huge event. There's camping available. That will will go fast. Uh, we have the Showman app. If you go on the Showman app uh, online, and find the Buckeye Livestock Expo. You can enter right now, and I would encourage that because we plan to fill up very fast. Um, uh, what
1: well, are entries? Did.
0: Entries need to be done ASAP. Actually, the earlier the better, uh, is what I'm going to say. If you wait too close to showtime, there will be will be a late fee attached to that. Uh, so I would get on Showman app and make sure you get your entries in. Uh, be prepared to show off your trailer. If you are a, have a blower, Bring a generator because it will be all over the place and their electric may not handle it all. So uh, June 27th to 28th, folks, the Buckeye Livestock Expo is coming very fast. and It's going to be a very awesome event uh, with incredible judges and uh, it's been fun uh, to work with and see the awesome sponsorships and donors we've had. So here we come next weekend.
1: Ooh, that's exciting. I uh, wish I could make it over. Yeah, but, uh, I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be a stellar event. Can't wait to hear how it goes, and uh, I'm just saying, high quality judges over there, uh, over in that neck of the woods, coming from all over the all country, up, all over, all over. Um. So before we introduce today's guest, who people should know if you have clicked on the title, uh, let's uh let's do our new favorite segment.
0: Oh yes. How- that's off. Brought to you by Fierce Th- Fierce Threads. They should fire us. Yeah. I can't even say it right. Fierce Threads and a Big Paul Lifestyle Company. Really digging some of the apparel that they have, folks. Uh, my card is full, and I'm getting ready to purchase. Don't tell Emily, but it's happening.
1: So... We're going to really test to see if your our wives listen to this
0: <laughs> Yeah, there we go. I heard she didn't, so I can get away with this kind of stuff. Although, she's probably standing right outside the door here. Uh, anyway, Fierce Threads, if you have hats that need to be made or banners or stickers, whatever, folks, they are the place to go to get that stuff done. And if you have some interest in some stellar, cool, livestock-centered apparel, Big Paul. they They got it all covered, so... Fierce Threads is our sponsor of Hats Off. Been a long time partner and friend of the show. So, Corey Edge, who does your hat go off to this week?
1: My hat goes off to you,
0: creative sale write-up guy. I thought it was going to be me again for the second time in a row.
1: No. Oh, okay. For those of you that make scrolling through sales not boring... With your incredible vocabulary and descriptive details, my hat goes off to you. I thoroughly enjoyed it during quarantine. Keep it up.
0: Nice. That's a good one. That is uh, one of those is probably Little Drake. Drake. Uh,
1: little little Drakey Drake? Drake Hook. Uh, genuine JBH, make yourself a shirt if you're listening to this. With Drake's face on it and just says, little Drakey Drake.
0: (laughs) That's a good one. Sell right ups. Yeah, you got to be creative. So hats off to them. Uh, Okay, so my turn hats off this week goes to the older sibling. Here's why. Because you're not just an older sibling. You're actually a coach, but you don't know it. You're definitely a mentor when you're being watched and you don't know it. And I was an older sibling that, and you are too, Corey. Oh, you're so, so this week's hats off is to me. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, but the older sibling, you may not know it now, no matter how old, older you are than your sibling, but you are a big part of the show barn. You may get in a fight with your sibling and parents, but you're also probably one of the things that keep that deal rolling. So hat goes off to you, older sibling and mentor and coach. You are all in one package hats off to you, older sibling that may be listening.
1: Mm. Mm -mm -mm. That's good stuff. Kirky. I will say older siblings are also good for, uh, providing, um, whip marks and, uh, road rash and other things to younger siblings uh, <laughs> if if those things maybe didn't get along as well as as young children that's right uh, I can speak from experience being the older brother um Tanner and I definitely exchanged blows with show sticks and oh whips boy. and uh and pipes back in the day you know when it was cool to show with a pipe did it my entire um, career man dude the Mormon showtech pipes. Okay, I didn't use one of those, but the purple ones, stri- straight and stiff as a board. Uh, you won't talk about getting one trained pretty quick, man? Those worked good, but uh, they do not feel good with a full baseball swing across the back. Oh, Django style. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh that's a good. Hats off, Kirky. Uh, let's uh, let's take these folks into the episode because, uh, and, and here's the deal. I thought long and hard about what I should say. Leading up to the intro for this. But I think simply all I could say is you know the name. Let's get to the story. Welcome to the show, John Solo.
0: Well, Corey, it's about time for story time and this is a story that i've been looking forward to one of our major guests on our master list we always talk about uh, but we got john sullivan with us today this week um i've been telling some of our close friends that we're going to have john sullivan on and they're kind of waiting on the edge of their seats to hear from mr sullivan so john thanks so much for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule uh, to be on stock talk we're anxious to uh, to hear from you and pick your brain a little bit so uh, just to get started, uh, we, I think we're going to do this one a little bit different, Corey. We're going to do mm-hmm. this one more as a story from beginning to end instead of just give us a little bit about yourself. We want to know it all. So, John, just to get started, uh, where did you grow up and um, what was kind of like your family upbringing?
2: Okay. Well, hey, Trevor and Corey, I appreciate uh, you guys having me on today. We're looking forward to it too. Um, I was born in Dunlap, Iowa. And Dunlop's a little small town of about 1,200 people in southwest Iowa. And my dad was a farmer and my mom a farm wife and I had seven uh, siblings. So we were a large family. Wow. And um, we kind of, uh, uh, six, seven of them were boys, one younger sister. And we just kind of grew up uh, rough and uh, kind of half scrubby to be honest you know pretty old-fashioned you know? and um, my dad was a was a pretty uh, uh basic uh, uh love love of land and cattle okay kind of guy but he liked more the uh feedlot cattle he really wasn't a show cattle guy he showed a little bit but he's more of a cattle feeder and um so our tradition started with more my older brothers uh kind of was into it you know showing cattle and and um we they didn't get into it till they were kind of out and and done with it my brother joe kind of got us started actually showing cattle and um i was eight years old the first time that i showed him and we, we were kind of at the bottom to be honest it's a pretty funny story i mean uh i think i was nine years old at the county fair and we walked out of i walked out of two classes in a row and i was second to last <laughs> and uh I, I kind of told my brother, Joe, who was, um, you know, quite a bit older than, than me at the time. I said, hey, you know, this, this is BS. We got, we got to do better than this. <laughs> and and we, we gradually started from there. And it, it was really natural. It was really kind of an awesome uh, uh, ride because we got to experience the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we started as basic 4-H people uh showed home raised calves. Um dad didn't really know anything about it. Um struggled, struggled the first four or five years trying to learn things. Um you know I, I was lucky that I was a younger brother and then by the time I was about 14 or 15, we kind of had her we kind of had her figured out and um I had great success my last couple years uh showing but it was kind of like the school of hard knocks and we got to see every level of it so, I'm, so you, and i'm very thankful for that by the way
0: so you were the youngest of the seven
2: i was the seventh boy and then my younger sister was the eighth child
0: uh, okay i follow you
2: yep. Wow. Yep.
0: that uh that that's pretty cool i guess you get to see all of your uh your siblings other than your sister I guess they got to try it out to see how the thing works. And then hopefully by the last boy, they get, they got it a little figured out. It sounds like so.
2: Yeah. Well, the older ones didn't even show, to be honest. Okay. Like my brother, Joe, who I talked about, who kind of has like Sullivan Cattle Company uh, uh, um, here in Dunlap too. He didn't even actually show when he was um, younger. We, wow. we kind of got into it. Um, late where the older boys didn't but then he he gravitated to it right away he was kind of a natural cattleman that liked it and he helped us kind of helped us along a lot
1: so john it was it's funny I, I was talking to my dad about um the opportunity to come out and uh get to interview you but you know working out um working out at your guys' places uh on judging trips and things like that and he kind of got to reminisce and on on uh what it was like to have the old Sullivan supply products and all the things that you guys have come up with and innovative uh, over the years. What's interesting is, um, y- you know, my dad's got a, a circuit tier two blower um, that is still operable today. And I keep telling him that we need to get a new one. So um, maybe, maybe our next next purchase will be a Sullivan blower i I don't know Um, (laughs) i got to talk to him about that we've gone through several hoses but i tell you what that that old machine from the uh from the 90s is still running strong and uh for no more no more use than we put it through it's done okay but uh so that kind of leads me into uh you know the the history of sullivan supply and, and and i think most people that uh hear sullivan kind of associate it with good cattle and um, and, and products that, uh, are used across multiple species now. Um, but, but how did that start? Because I, have heard p- parts and pieces of the story, but I want, uh, I want our listeners to really get the full grasp of what it was like, uh, to first start, uh, that part of the business.
2: Um, well, that was kind of the school of hard knocks too. So, um, <laughs> you know, when I got out of high school, um, it was 1984. And we had pretty good success showing cattle that last couple of years, and really that's when a farm crunch was going pretty darn. I mean, it was hot and heavy. I mean, it was tough for farmers. And um, I actually didn't go to college. I went straight to work um, using my trade, and I moved to Texas and um, worked for Roseanky Cattle Company, manager purebred limousine show cattle. and then um, from there I moved to Nevada. And uh, worked for the people who uh, it was called Tombstone Little Mondo Limousine Ranch, um, but they own Tombstone Pizza. <laughs> so there were two really nice purebred operations that we got to um, manage show cattle with, and I learned a lot of things um, at a young age. And yeah, I'll thank my dad for a lot of things because he kind of pushed us, especially being the youngest boy. He kind of pushed me into decisions when you're when you were younger. You know, when I was sixteen, you were picking out your own show cattle. You know, when you're 14, you're responsible for your own show cattle. You know, he never, he'd never rinse a calf for you. You know, it was your, it was your own deal, you know, and he kind of forced you into them situations. So um, by the time i moved back home in 1989, I was 23 years old. And my wife and I, my wife Dee Dee and I, started up Sullivan Supply. Okay. And, uh, you know, we weren't afraid of decisions and when we were younger and we just kind of uh we didn't really know what we were getting into it was a i'll be honest it was kind of overwhelming you know and no doubt about it you're just young and naive enough not to know uh completely what you're getting into and um i had saved some money and i'd bought a land bought some land when i was in texas and by the time i moved back home um the farm crunch in 1989. The farm crunch had got a little bit better, and we had about hundred thousand dollars net worth in this farm. My wife and I did. So uh, we borrowed 125 thousand against this farm, and we got in the show supply business. And we laugh about it all the time because we were about nine hundred thousand dollars short uh, of working capital, <laughs> it, maybe more. You know, but we just we honestly just didn't know any any better. So uh, it it started in um, February 20th. I was at the Iowa Beef Expo of 1989, February 15th in that area, and um, that's kind of when I decided. It's like, hey, we're gonna we're going to uh, uh, get in the show supply business, and uh, by May we was uh, going to our first show.
1: So, John, John, was that a, that out of a need or or maybe a desire for? for new products, better products, were there things that you guys were working on behind the scenes before you decided, Hey, we need to start this business or, uh, cause obviously people were fitting cattle before then, um, and using different products. So kind of, yep. what was the purpose behind that?
2: Um, we were making some of our own products, um, just uh, some of my own liquid products in um, the latter eighties there, just for my own use a little bit. And, so I always kind of enjoyed that part of the business and it was just really when I'm, when uh, we just thought there was a need for the for the next level. It was nobody was thinking outside the box. There's um, two very large show suppliers from across the country, one in Oklahoma and one in Iowa. And actually uh, kind of a funny story. my dad who who was a pretty independent type of entrepreneur type of guy himself, um, uh, he said, oh boy, I, I don't know, I don't think you ought to get in this. <laughs> you know and he did he just like oh boy and my dad was old school he wasn't gonna loan you a dollar you're gonna do it all on your own you know and it was kind of kind of that way so you're always struggling from behind but he was worried that there was two companies that were too big that already overwhelmed the, the industry and didn't really want me to get into it and um, I want to get into it because I love the industry and um, I love showing cattle uh, Dede and I didn't want to move any anymore. And we couldn't afford to get in the purebred cattle business. We didn't have the land or the cows. Okay. So there was no chance of that ever happening at that point. So we started a show supply business and um, we started with one trailer. We had one custom built trailer and we started piecing some uh, products together. And the first year we went around, we went around all these shows, went to like 60, 65 shows, and I went to buy every one that I, you know, possibly could. And was probably gone the majority of the, um, you know, the, uh, probably 185 days, 200 days. <laughs> and um, we didn't even have a pickup. I had to borrow my uh brother Joe's pickup. So it's just kind of a funny story. And and that thing was like, it was comical because that was like a 20-year-old, maybe even 30-year-old type of pickup. That was his hog pickup. <laughs> and it had cloth seats. I'll never forget it. You'd be driving down the road and you hit a bump and and uh, the hog dust would fly up all over <laughs> and you, you stunk like a hog no matter what, you know. and <laughs> It was it was kind of one of them things where there was you n- you just never had near enough capital so the first i mean it was six eight ten years you know i mean uh we honestly slept in the in the bed of the pickup you know the first couple of years at shows because you just you just wasn't going to get a hotel room and you you'd take a shower you know kind of off in the hog barn or sat the <laughs> cattle barn at them state fairgrounds you know you yeah. could but but Granted, you're, you're younger, you're 23, you know, 24 years old, you can do them things a little easier.
1: Right. Yeah. Less, less strain on the back, uh, at those times, but <laughs> there's a, uh, there's lots of stuff that we could dive into here. And, and just kind of hearing you talk about the, the, you know, the roots of, of this, I guess you could say and how it all starts. Uh, Trevor and I kind of talk often about how, um, how this podcast has developed over the course of a little over a year and a half. And, uh, it, it's just mind blowing to think about, um, what other, what other folks had to go to or through, I should say, um, to get to the level they're at. So that's pretty neat. Um, so when, when you guys were hauling around, what was kind of, you know, the first few years, what were the big, what were the big sellers for you guys?
2: Um, I, I, we started in 1990 with tail adhesive and um, and prime time adhesive, and you know there's several of them products through the years that they they evolved. You know we had a clean sheen back then, but in 1990 we come out with prime time tail adhesive and clean sheen, and they're three of our staples. And there's three of our staples today. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty interesting uh, tail adhesive and prime time, exact same formulation. Still probably the two most popular adhesives in the livestock business. Okay. I'd say by, by a substantial amount. And, um, the clinching it's evolved, you know, it's, it's, we've, we've uh, sharpened that recipe up a little bit and that formulation and now it has hair vitamins and it's got, you know, it's, it's got a, a, a you know, a different twist to it. It's not as greasy as it used to be. It's a little lighter, you know, and it's better for, for authentic hair growth and so forth. So they were the three and then you just kind of built, you know, you built around them. And over the years, we just kind of, um, um, you, you know, you looked at things that you, uh, thought you could improve on and whether it was just a basic cattle comb and, and, uh, it's like, Hey, how can we make this a better product? And you sit down and you analyze it and you break it and then you do it. And sometimes it takes a couple of years, just a process like that. But, um, through the years, that's just what we did. We just took uh, products that, that we thought could be better, just like the chair I'm sitting in right now, and I want to make a better chair. And how do you do that? And you learn a lot from your customers, and then you uh, you know you learn a lot through trial and error. And it it it's just a little bit thinking outside the box. It's nothing that I don't think is a, a lot of people could do it. It's just kind of um, pretty basic, but um, it, it takes perseverance, you know, kind of for it.
0: So, uh, walk us through, I guess the next couple of years, your first show was in May. Uh, what show, what was your very first show? Do you remember, uh, what show that was? Oh yeah.
2: Yep. A, uh, small jackpot show in Red Oak, Iowa. It was, uh, first or second weekend in May and, um, had a nice shiny new trailer that I paid $6,900 for. It was steel custom made that it was really nice and, um, didn't have a pickup, uh, car was a piece of junk worth about 800 bucks. And, uh, you know, we had, uh, a lot of people helping it in those first few years. Vendors were, um, a lot, uh, more forgiving to people. So you, you build a relationship with them and obviously didn't have enough money borrowed from the bank and coming off that farm crunch, banks weren't going to borrow you any money. They just, it, you know, no more than what they should have. So that is slim pickings right there. Right. So your creditors, uh, was the people who companies and a lot of the same companies we deal with today, um, would kind of extend you some nice terms because they knew you was trying and they got to know you and you could work more off a personal basis right then and uh, back then and that's kind of what happened a little bit.
1: Uh, wish we we, we just
2: had to gut gut it out on a lot of things. You know, like those first few years, to be honest, um, it started exploding for us right right off the bat, and we had some pretty unique neat products and. We couldn't keep up. We couldn't even afford our own inventory, you know? And yet our offices, I mean, funny story here. We, we absolutely had no heat for the first four or five years in our offices. And uh, oh, no. the truth, yet not none, zero. We, we had an old grocery, we started in a 20, 20, 20 by 20 garage. And then within about six months, we, we were fortunate to move into an old grocery store in town and it was pretty decent sized. But the grocery store had no heat. It had no offices, and you couldn't do any of your bookwork. So um, we'd be in there. The, the first four or five years, we were answering a phone. Nobody knew about it. But we'd be in a um, cardboard refrigerator box, you know, that your refrigerator comes in. We went across the store to the appliance store, and we get we we had two of them. We'd put together, and we'd throw a blue tarp over top. <laughs> we'd plug in the, the little heater, and then we'd have the uh, the the clamp-on light up above. And that was your office.
0: No and we had
2: two or three of them in there. And people, my wife and, and the first few, you know, John Lacey and Scott Kins are the first few employees. And I, we'd be answering the phone in there, taking orders. Oh my and goodness. we'd be inside a cardboard uh, box with a clamp on light and plug in <laughs> heater. It was just pretty comical.
0: Wow. So, was there ever a time in, in those days where you've got a beat up truck, a shiny new trailer? But your offices, tarps, and boxes. Was there ever a time where it was just like, I'm not so sure this is going to work? Or was there any time of doubt, or were you just so motivated that you had to make it work?
2: Uh, you know, it went really good from the beginning. So you could, you could, you had the feeling that it was going to work. Um, but uh, man, you were just, uh, you were trying to do too much. You were literally, uh, you're going, you know, till 2 a.m. Oh yeah. You know, you're going early in the morning until 2 a.m. You're getting six or seven hours of sleep and you're going seven days a week. And you did that for several years, not just, not just six months, you know, you're doing that for five, six, seven years to get established. And you're, you kind of back was always against the wall a little bit. So the, 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 um, the driving force was, was uh, the fear of failure. You know, almost, you hate, you know, I'm not afraid of a challenge, but I did but I just didn't want to fail. So that was kind of a driving force.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and you, love,
2: you know, you love, you love the industry so much, you know, you just want to, you want to participate in it somehow.
0: Oh yeah. No, know the feeling full heartedly. Now for some of our young entrepreneurs or even, even doesn't matter your age really, but some that may be listening. Um, I know being self-employed myself, there's always looking ahead. I've got to do this. I got to do that. At what point in your company did you decide to evolve in getting all the trailers that you have today and all of the 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 massive brand that you've built? Uh, I you've, we've talked about the history and how we've started, uh, but at what point and how did you become comfortable uh, with expanding the business and how did you make that call uh, to evolve the way you have?
2: Um, you know it was just, you, you just like the challenge, you know? It was kind of like, um, it was very similar to the, uh, I love sports, I love the competition, I'm, I'm, I like competition, I like, uh, I, uh, I, I was an athlete when I was young, so you kind of carry that over to a business mentality a little bit, you know? And um, so we started, you know, in Iowa in 1989, and then in 1992, um, we established a location in Hillsborough, Texas. Uh, that Dan Sullivan and Vince Elder went down there uh, to run, you know, and then now Tyler Adcock is is um, our manager down there. But we just kind of kept building, you know. So down there, then we got that market established, you know, and and um, we've we've ended up with locations in in uh, California over the years, and Indiana, and Ohio. And it was just kind of a natural progression that there was really uh, not a plan. It's just the main show cattle states that was highly, um, highly amount of livestock showed. Um, we just wanted to have a really good representation of our products there and have uh, a full inventory for them, you know, and have, have the best products we could in front of those people.
1: Well, and like you guys have obviously branched out further than the, the cattle industry um into multi-species now and so um what kind of you know when you guys evolved into that sort of uh, of way of thinking when did when did that first start when were you guys kind of yeah. asked to maybe do some some multi-species things and and kind of yeah. who was a part of that
2: yeah, that's a that's a good question so like a like a basic timeline was you know 92 we we moved to texas and started hitting the texas and oklahoma market strong and then um we were going to about 170 shows a year then. And then uh, we we were we were getting pretty good at, at our liquid and aerosol products. Um, uh, we starting to try to manufacture more and more specialized equipment. Um, then like in 1995, we made the Sullivan combs. And um, we kind of wanted to make a little better metal there with the combs and a little different teeth design. That's a little better for, and they were actually, we took out like, I can't even remember what it was like two or three of the teeth that make the spacing a little wider on them combs and nobody really noticed or even really thought about it. But the bottom line is cattle were getting better haired genetically and people were working on them more. So, uh, just little things, you know, and then that evolves into, um, a skip tooth, you know, and then the skip tooth resolved into the fluffer comb and it's just kind of how cattle were getting thicker haired and how you were, um, using them, But, um, then in 1997, we started, we purchased a leather company and um, out of Oklahoma, and we started making all of our own uh, leather halters and all the own leather goods and so forth. And um, you said something about blow dryers, you know, earlier, and it was like down the timeline. It was uh, 1998, uh, we wanted to make a better blow dryer. So we um, hired an engineer, and, and at the time, Scott Kinzer, uh, my one of my best friends from high school and I who showed cattle together, we were doing all of our new products. And, um, with the help of an engineer, we, uh, did some, uh, really neat features on air express that are still uh, very, very popular today and Mm -hmm. so forth. So it was kind of, you know, in 1998 we're in, we're in California, you know, we established in California Then my cousin Mark was out there and, and, um, that was a little bit of a growing market and and part of the reason we moved to california is we wanted to learn how those people were showing out there cuz it's quite a west coast was quite different than the midwest at the time and we learned a lot um from them and they were progressing a lot so you know and then it, it just kind of kept growing from there i two, in 2005 2006 we were going to about 220 shows a year and we had about 50 employees and um we was doing more and more of the manufacturing that people probably didn't even realize we were doing behind the scenes. Just, I mean, my mom and aunts sewed lamb tubes and, (laughs) and, um, exhibitor harnesses. I mean, they sold, they, they sewed them things uh, up until, Oh gosh, you had to be pushing 78 or so. Um, and that was kind of their little mini, mini business off the side. But, you know, then we, we just kind of got to a phase then where, um, we had a, a pretty elite product line that we was just building on and we were looking for new challenges. And then, in, um, I think it was about 2009, we started a Sullivan supply scholarship program and, uh, it's, it was an instant hit. It's been kind of, uh, it's really fun. It's, it's like, uh, for, 1400 kids from 40 plus states apply each year and it ends up being, there's there's scholarships that are a lot bigger than ours as far as dollar amount, but it's turned into kind of a who's who of mm. junior livestock showman. Yeah. And it is rewarding. It's like every year I've called them kids when they, when they've, uh, um, one, and it, it's kind of fun at, at various times. I had, uh, Sarah, when she was younger, uh, she's our oldest daughter and she's just turned 18 today and Sage, she's 11, our youngest daughter at various times. They'd help me call the kids and congratulate them and sometimes you knew the kids sometimes we didn't um but it was just that's been a lot of fun that's uh but well, that was heartfelt and felt good to do you know start trying to we're getting established enough we could give back a little bit yeah right
1: i've I so, talked to a few of the scholars they say uh it's kind of like waiting for the call for the draft uh for the <laughs> nfl draft you know they are kind of sitting in a war room waiting for it
2: oh yeah. <laughs> well it, it feels you feel kind of bad because uh there's uh, so many kids that are deserving. There's, you know, mm-hmm. or there's 40, 50 kids each year that are just top end. But it's interesting to see that some of them kids apply two, three years in a row and and they build up their resume and they show their perseverance and they kind of still, uh, you know, and they eventually get one. And that's pretty, pretty neat. That's cool. Yeah. And then a little before that, we started Stock Show University. You know, that's been a very uh, uh, rewarding thing for us too and and that really was uh, based off from and it's something i always wanted to do i mean i want to do that since we started sold supply in 1989 and that really was just because we started so green as a family i mean we were we were the lowest you could get on a totem pole you know and uh at the time there there wasn't a pile of schools and there wasn't a people that had that mentality to kind of want to share that knowledge it was quite the exact opposite and we, we want to change that culture at Solomon Supply. Um, they, we didn't care. We, we want kids to all be as, as good as they want to be at something. So we, just, we, I mean, we will still to this day, we'll share every piece of knowledge we can about show cattle, genetics, anything, anything. I don't care if our, if, you know, from my daughter's competing against them that day or not, or if it's feeding, if it's, if it's fresh and feminine, whatever it is, I mean, we're all about it. Everybody get as good as they can and go let the chips fall, you know? And that's what stock show university was about. It's, it's pretty cool. And I love that two day program, that, that two day program, you actually get kids in there that have no confidence at the beginning of it. And they, um, by the time they leave, they feel like they can groom and clip a leg at a, at a level and have confidence. So yeah, always enjoyed the program.
1: Yeah. I've been, I've enjoyed watching that evolve over the years too. And, and just, uh, the the amount of industry uh, professors or experts you know that get involved with those just kind of goes to show you what uh, what that program is worth to to not only the youth but also um, some of the other folks that have been involved in the industry too at a at a high level. So um, I was going to ask something about Stock Show U uh, when it comes to uh, the the programs like Stock Show U. Is there you know? when folks want to go, um, I feel like to an extent, um, you know, people need to realize that this is an event to help people get better. And, and, uh, so my question is when somebody wants to go to a stock show, you camp and they walk in and they see, you know, uh, you know, a Josh elder or somebody that's there, that's, you know, highly recognizable name. Um, that's been involved with you guys forever. How, how does somebody walk into that program feeling like they're going to get the attention or or maybe not feel as nervous about asking questions to those industry experts?
2: Yep. Well, it's, it's kind of how we break them things down. So we'll do a demonstration. It's pretty tough to break that barrier in a, in a couple hour one. That's tough. Um, the Stock Show University grad program where them kids are there for a day, day or two days. Most of them are two days and they bring their own animal. Those are pretty unique. They're pretty neat and I'm, I'm proud of them because uh, those kids come in, you start off and you do a demonstration and the demonstration might be about daily hair care. Well, then we'll break that, that professor up with, depending on how many kids are at the camp, but we try to keep it six, eight, 10 to one at the most. So it be one professor with six or eight kids, usually is probably the average. And they just get to know them. So right, away, they might start a little apprehensive and they might not want to ask questions when you're doing a demonstration when the whole group there, there's 200 kids in front of the professor and he's visiting. Okay, those kids won't ask that question. But when we break it down and they get the first hour or two, the very first thing we do is break into, break into groups. And they break down, and they start enjoy themselves, and they let their guard down. The kid does, and they find like they find out that at the end of the day, uh, everybody's humans, and we all put our pants on the same way, hmm. you know. And they walk away from there, and they have so much confidence, and they're just fired up. It, if, if we're in, a lot of times, we're not teaching them anything that their parents couldn't teach them, but it's they're obviously people, children, kids, teenagers, whatever age it is, they're more. Uh, you know they're more adapt they're more adaptable to somebody besides their parents wanting them. You, know, you know they want to learn from somebody else, basically. Right. Yep. And um, they l- start up looking up at that person, and by the time that day to two days is over, they've they've learned a lot about the industry, but they've they've they found out that everything's more basic than you think, and you just have to have confidence in what you're doing and put your nose in there and don't be afraid to ask a question. And yeah, Josh Elder and and, and, uh, Jeff Sargent and guys like that who work a lot of stock show universities for us as master professors and Wes Ritchie, they're no different than them, you know? And it builds so much confidence in them kids And, and, and it builds them to love the industry. I mean, it's a, that's a blast to watch that develop. Just what you said. I mean, that first um couple hours they come in there they're pretty you, you, they're nervous that 13 year old's nervous you know he just just doesn't feel comfortable and, and oh before noon the first lunch at noon they're already high-fiving you see they go and eat lunch together and hang out and uh the the secret there is keep a person it's a huge camp sometimes we've had up to um 500 kids it's it's interesting the two biggest camps you've ever had was five and six hundred kids and they were in uh, uh florida and idaho wow it's all- now who would have thought yeah
1: right well um, the i mean the reason i asked that is i think i think maybe as parents and and i mean we got a lot of people that listen to this show that are they're that close to trevor and i's age and, and older you know i just i want parents to feel comfortable knowing that maybe maybe their kid is a little nervous but but at home maybe they show some some angst to want to get out and get better Um, but they need maybe a push and I think you know what you guys have at Stock Show U is something unique to where you know and there's all kinds of show camps and clinics out there that are great but you know there's that that personal one-on-one level with somebody in the industry that you know is very recognizable um, but yet like you said still human and and can help build some confidence and and some um, some extra willpower and, and some youth out there. And I think that's what's really important to keep this thing going.
2: We, we spend a lot of time with that program on making sure that it is um, it's, it is learning. I mean, Taylor Harrison manages Stock Show University and she's, a, she's an awesome person. She's, she's a pure educator, okay? She looks at everything from an, from an educator's perspective, but she also likes kids a lot and she's like the perfect fit to kind of lead that program. And she wants to make sure them kids, Hey, they're there to learn. They're there to, to learn from somebody besides their parents, you know, to put it quite frankly and, and, and build and instill confidence, but go around the corner at night and Hey, go have a little fun, you know, sit down at lunch and have a little, little fun. I think that's what separates that, that camp is, there's some highly skilled people that come in there. There really is. It's a tremendous group of, of uh, professors. And I, and I want to, Give a shout out to them, too, because I think Solomon supply supplies changed that whole culture uh, of of sharing uh, great fitters and clippers of the old days. One didn't ever want to share their knowledge, kind of right. like I touched based on uh, earlier. And I think one of the best things that that program accomplished was it. It gave more of a giving back of knowledge from them top people in the industry. And they've been very, very uh, just an unbelievable group of people have helped us over the years yeah. with that. I mean, we'll, we'll go to a camp and, and sometimes you have 20, 30, 40, uh, professors, you know, just depend on the kids. If, if registration looks like it's going to be 200 kids, um, you know, we're going to have 20, 24 professors probably there.
1: Right. Right. So, yeah, that's, uh, an excellent. <laughs> I
2: gotta, I gotta shout out to them professors because they have been, uh, than willing to share their knowledge you know they, they got a love for livestock and a love for kids is what they have and you right.
0: know when it comes to the sharing the knowledge thing um i i get it uh, you know you don't want to give away all your secrets but even if you do you still got to master them and and i think part of the stock show you that i've loved to watch with some of those kids if you go to a show and there's a demonstration going on in the ring or even if it's a full-blown uh clinic then you know, they get to experience what everybody's been talking about, even if it's uh, the newest way of doing something that's the t- supposedly the top secret deal. Um, they still get to kind of be hands on and experience that. So you're exactly right. It's kind of changed that. Uh, well, don't tell anybody we do this because this will give us the edge. Well, maybe so, but you still have to master it. And I think it's really cool that Stock Show U has been able to uh, have kids the opportunity to master those skills. So then maybe the, the domino effect and they can teach somebody else down the road and become a fess- professor themselves, maybe.
1: No doubt. Is,
2: that's exactly right. We're getting to that point now where we've had kids that were uh, come to the clinic and now are professors. So it's pretty okay. neat.
1: Well, we're going to take a pause in the show to tell you that our good friend Jay Starbell has officially planted his roots in Missouri, Missouri would say folks. If you do not know this by now, Tarbell marketing and design is a one-stop shop for all of your marketing, advertising and creative needs. If you are a customer that has never worked with Tarbell marketing and design before, guess what? I'm giving you 15% off of your first creative design, whether that be a logo, a banner, print ad, Whatever. Doesn't matter. Hit up Tarbell Marketing and Design. Let them know that you talked to the folks at Stock Talk. Even if you didn't talk to us, you just heard it on the show. 15% off. Check it out. Tarbell Marketing and Design. Like and follow on all social media platforms. Let's get back to the story with John Sullivan. Okay, before we dive into Sullivan Cattle, which I'm really anxious to talk about, um, I got to ask... And if you don't want to tell, that's okay. I'm going to put you on the spot, though. What is the? Because you guys come up with all kinds of cool stuff, uh, innovative uh, equipment. What? What's a little hint of what's maybe coming? next like I said, that nobody uh <laughs> work
2: Oh gosh, we're always on. On. Uh, <laughs> I, we're, we're years out on that. So um, right now, James Sullivan, Scott Kinzer and myself do the, uh, new products. And, uh, Matt Burkhart, he's a tremendous mind. He's our, uh, general manager and here at our uh, entire operation. He lives in Dunlap, Iowa. Matt come in, come on board in 2015 and, uh, loves industry, you know, showed cattle and he's a kid and, uh, he's just a great mix. But, uh, we sit ar- around, uh, james and scott Kenzer and matt nine and, and, and we just kind of uh, beat up new products you know that's that's the basis of it you know and you think about um just outside the box thinking you know as much as you can you i mean i love to hear wild uh, ideas because uh, most of them don't you know they don't work and they get too far out there but there's just a little piece of one that you might use And that application might go somewhere else, you know, so somebody's got some, uh, uh, you know, wants to make a car that can fly and, uh, you know, but there's a little and they start breaking it down and an engineer starts and makes parts and pieces for it. And uh, you're like, well, that's not probable today. But there's a little piece in there that you can use for something else,
0: right? Have you ever yep. had somebody come up to you with an idea, but was afraid to even tell you what it was because they wanted piece of it, or has
2: that ever happened? Oh, yeah, we get that quite a bit. Um, you know, uh, the the y- you get that a lot. I mean, we get that several times a year. You know, we had that customer innovation day. Yep. at the major shows this year and that was neat that was that was part fun and part of learning experience you know and we wanted people to come up and talk to us about what they didn't like uh, uh, with our equipment and what they did like and and then give us ideas you know how can improve ours and it was a lot of uh you can imagine that was a lot of kids that was 12 to 18 you yeah. know 12 to 20 that was coming up there and, and trying to give us an idea and get a cool hoodie sweatshirt and <laughs> it was a, it was pretty neat it was just and, and we got some good ideas from it.
1: I got to ask what the craziest one is now.
2: Oh gosh. <laughs> uh there's been some some crazy ones over the years. I can, I can't say one that I that can, if you give me some time to think about it I could come <laughs> up with it, but it, you get some crazy ones. I could imagine. I, I mean, one out of a thousand kind of uh in the end make something, you know because you don't need to be replacing something just to replace something. You you don't want to do that. Okay. That's faddish. That's, that's, uh, uh, you know, it's against my belief. If you can make something better and you should always be looking at it and breaking it down, you know, and that's what we do. We just, when we run out, when we think we are running on ideas, uh, we flip through our catalog, uh, and say, how can we fix what we have then? how can uh-huh. we make what we have better, mm-hmm. you know? So, there's, there's been a lot of ideas that we've got from, uh, people. It really has, um, uh, the, the, the shock and game changer show day, um, game changer is a new show day when it took over shock. Uh, that is from a cattleman in Oklahoma. Uh, you know, that, that, uh, we did, we did not develop that product. We developed most of our, our Sullivan brand name products, at, you know, 98.9% of them, you know, but that particular product, uh, this gentleman has the, uh, um, formula for and we get it from him. Yeah, and we have an exclusive agreement. He brings it to us, shows it, we tried it, and we're like, wow, this is incredible. Um we broke broke it down. Yes, we can get pretty close to it, but we still like, you know, we like his better. His is a great product. So we stuck with it. Huh. So you get you get all them through the years. Yep.
1: I will uh I'll take royalties uh from Miles Tinius because he he came up <laughs> with it during his interview. Uh a show parent calming paste should be the next sold supply invention.
2: <laughs> 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 I at stock show you when I'm in stock show use, I tell the kid, the last person he should listen to in showmanship is his parents. You yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably don't like it, but it's about the truth. It's just like, if you go through the basic and um, parents are, they just need to get out of there, you know, cause they're making the kid more nervous and the kid needs to get the basic, hold the head up, hold the head straight yeah, and walk the calf into it. It's like, that's 80% of showmanship and don't be poking around.
1: I got, the name, I got the name already. Sullivan Slowdown. Oh, there we go. <laughs> For show parents. Claim it now. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh,
0: well, that's good. Well, um, before we do, Corey, what do you think? We just jump right into the breakdown uh, because we've talked a little bit about uh, the dream that has become Sullivan's Supply. Uh, I think it'd be a good time for what we call The Breakdown.
1: The Breakdown is brought to you by Brad Howell Ford, located in California and a great folks at Brad Howell. Make sure you go look them up uh, for that next new vehicle purchase. If you're unaware or if you're like John Sullivan and you got an old beat up pickup that you're trying to haul your trailer around with, they will hook you up with a bright new shiny one with award winning customer service and also very low interest rates in 2020 currently. So take advantage right. of that.
0: Well, uh, this is one that I actually created this time and we want to break down funding a dream. Uh, you know, we all have that brilliant idea that we think we write it down and we get after it, but tell us a little bit about how you think, or what do you think is worth putting your life savings in for Are loans, the answer, or what is too risky versus a smart move in just your experiences with building Sullivan supply?
2: make sure you like it. Yeah. If you love what you're doing and then, then you can withstand all the perseverance that you have to go through. So, um, if you, if you have a, and I know passion's an overused word, but I mean, if you truly love something, um, it's, it's like obstacles in life, you're going to overcome it. You know, if you, if you, it, whether it's your spouse or your family, you know, you're, you're, if you love your business and you love what you're doing day to day, you're, you're probably going to be pretty good at it
0: Mm. and
2: you're going to be the best that you can be. So, um, I put my money in things that you enjoy. I mean, Mm. you only live once on top of all that. So, um, uh, regardless of what many people might think, sold and has really never been driven, uh, by monetary. We really haven't. I mean, we just like it so much and we love this industry so much. It's like, Hey, we, we dump three hundred thousand dollars a year in the pulse. You know, we do, and we do it because we want to start a daily news feed for people who who uh, uh, show cattle. We wanted to be we wanted to be the newspaper that you woke up the morning that morning and you could find some livestock news every day. Okay, mm-hmm. we didn't want to sell advertising on it. We didn't want to make it a, a business. We we did it for. Uh, to inspire people in this industry a little bit like stock show you, you know? And um, I mean, honestly, I'd say uh, between stock show you and a pulse um, we spend probably $500,000 a year. That's more than I ever dreamed of ever making in the show supply industry in my entire life. Mm. If you're just talking figures, I never dreamed that. So, but we stuck money in something we believed in. It doesn't always have to make sense. You just, it's sometimes it's for the greater good. And um, that's just kind of, kind Of what I believe in, and I mean, now today with the pulse, um, boy, uh, there's days major cattle show days at, at junior nationals and state fairs and Fort Worth and Louisville. Um, I'm pretty sure Louisville and Supreme Female Weekend and Fort Worth Deer Weekend we had over 100,000 hits on that one day. Wow. And many of your state fairs and junior nationals and Denver's and all of them are 60,000, 80,000 a day of hits. And even on just a regular Tuesday in June, you're going to get, you're going to have 30,000, 40,000 hits of uh, people getting on the pulse each day. So, and, you know, I've, I really wish that's something our customers would use a little bit more. I mean, as far as send in your, information you know we have people sending in for shows or it's right on there you can send in any information that you'd like to it's it's just a service that that uh is uh hey if you're having a sale on Tuesday morning and you want to just remind everybody you know or um uh you know it's it's your daughter's birthday and you want to surprise her you know little things like that we just wanted a go-to spot that uh, the whole industry could kind of share in huh. so, yeah so so you yes I got long winded on that one but funny your dream. I mean, it's uh, yeah, everything's risky. If you don't ever take a shot, you're never going to accomplish anything. I mean, the only thing that you should be afraid of is uh, the only thing you should use failure for is a, is is a, is for perseverance. You shouldn't use it not to get in, mm-hmm. and there's a big difference there. Yeah, so.
0: this just jumping off that first jump is so scary. And be honest, when we started the podcast, I was a little little hesitant you know what are what are people going to say and I started the more I thought about it, I was like you know what talked to a few of my friends Corey was one of them he wanted a piece of this deal and he was one of the biggest ones that said we just got to go we got to jump this is something we love to do we love to talk it's all gonna work so it makes sense and that's one of the things that I I would just kind of uh was anxious to hear from you because um that's the truth if you do love doing it uh you're gonna find a way to make it work if you think it. It may not, it may seem crazy to others, but if you love to do it, you're going to find a way to make it work. So there you go, folks, the breakdown brought to you by Brad Hal Ford.
1: Oh, that's uh that's good stuff. And, and I've always, um, my, my dad's one of my biggest role models and, and he's, he's kind of always said the, the biggest fear he has in life is failure, but he also says that failure can also be your biggest motivator. So, um, it's a kind of a double-edged sword that I think uh, a lot of successful people live by. And, um, I, I certainly respect that a lot. So let's dive into Sullivan farms because, um, if, if you guys aren't, uh, cleaning it up and, and just about every breed now, um, I, I, maybe I haven't seen a cattle show recently. <laughs> uh, you guys have done, done awesome things and obviously, uh, multiple breeds and all that. I think most people recognize the, the, uh, you know, the, the sole prefix, uh, with shorthorns, but obviously there's, there's a ton more out there that you guys are involved with. So kind of give us, uh, maybe give us a little bit of idea when you guys started and, and what breeds you were, you are kind of dabbling in to begin with.
2: Yeah. Well, we started solving farms in, um, 1992, my wife and I did. And, and, um, we're just, uh, out west of Dunlap and, um, we bought our original farm. We we bought on um, again. You need a lot of help, a, a lot of perseverance, and a little luck. Um, but we bought on a contract from the old veterinarian in town, and he liked kids who showed cattle. You know, and he didn't give me a uh, doctor more. He didn't give me a uh, break on the farm price wise, but he gave me an opportunity to buy it on a contract. Hmm. Right. And he liked the idea that I was going to turn it back into a grass farm. And uh, he knew what I was going to do with it. You know, so there's the original 420 acres. Um, uh, again, I could have never got the money from the bank. Uh, but I, I purchased it from uh, my old veterinarian in town that like kids who showed cattle. And, um, you know, we didn't have the best facilities. It was very similar to um, Sullivan Supply over the years, you know. I mean, we, we went. Hey, salt and supply, uh, that we built that new building in 2017 and we were pretty, pretty building poor until then, you know, we've used all of our capital and other things. And we, we kind of had a tendency to do the same thing with cattle. Um, we don't have the nicest show barn. We probably have a below average show barn, but, um, you know, we have a, uh, a good management team here, you know, yeah, John Elder has been here since, since, um, practically the beginning, you know, and. And Nate Tice manages our show barn and, and Josh Elder manages our sale cattle, you know, and those three guys are long-term employees that are good and they all have the same, uh, vision that, that I do. And, um, you know, they spend a lot of time around, um, uh, especially my oldest daughter, Sarah, you know, teaching her the, the, uh, uh she's got a love of showing livestock and, and, uh, let, and has interest in the supply business and then just this whole side of it. She, um, just, she has a passion for it. Like, like I do, you know, so they even trusted these people that have been with you for many years to um, they're, they're uh, teaching her, you know, I, I kind of like it because uh, I'm still uh, heavily involved there, but I, I can take a step back and not be looking over her shoulder every, every uh, moment, you know, and second guessing her, you know, she gets, she kind of gets taught by somebody that's, that's, uh, um, a non-parent and yet I'm still kind of involved <laughs> every once in a while you right. know? so yep. um but we we love it that's exact same thing you know we 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 love the cattle business we love cattle of all breeds that's just the truth i just like good cattle and um honestly i i enjoy the competition of showing cattle but um my love is trying to uh the genetic part of it trying to raise them you know and that you know that's something where hey if we have uh, x amount of dollars available we're probably going to keep our average show barn you know that's 200 yards behind my back uh as we're doing this interview it's just a barn it's below like i said i'm pretty sure it's below average in this industry well that barn uh has probably had as many national champions and, and you know it's had uh, as much success as any okay but we focus on genetics and we focus on good people you know and. Um, genetically you know i'd love to spend time with with more people at stock show you we don't but you know i just feel bad when people are starting with a calf that has no chance Mm. you know and and if you can see how a calf's going to develop and we know that's that's a humbling experience by the way i mean we know that that is uh you but you people need to increase their batting average that's what i'm saying there you know it's like not every animal you buy or raise is going to turn out but you need to Make it a goal to increase your batting average, and and um, there's so many little things you can do when you're when you're evaluating livestock that you can project where they're going. And and honestly, today there's there's a lot of good genetics. There's an unbelievable amount of young, talented fitters, and how you separate yourself is knowing where your genetics are going from from a 300 pound calf to a 600 pound calf to a 900 pound calf. I mean, who can project that? To that's what's that and and in Managing your female um, for the long term—that is what separates the great, just the flat-out great ones. That's that's what separates them, in my opinion. But yeah, totally agree. We, you know, you, we we like all breeds. You said something about that, and I mean, we started with limousine in 1992, and and the reason we did is because, um, yeah, I was a I like the people in the breed, and I like the breed. And um, at the time, the two operations that I was the, working with in Texas and Nevada had had a lot of friends and connections in those two breeds. So we started there. We evolved into short arms. And, you know, today we're probably more focused on Simmental Angus and, and Keys, quite frankly. But we love every breed of cattle. We just, I, I think they're great especially in the last ten, fifteen years. You're just good cattle in every breed. Yeah.
0: It's fun so, to to hear about those facilities because you may have a below average show barn, but what comes out of that show barn is definitely not below average. Uh <laughs> and we all see that. And that's so true. You know, you if you surround yourself with good people, it doesn't <laughs> matter what your facilities look like really and manage them right. You know, we we've talked about that a lot on this show, but uh but yeah, I, we, we know what comes out of that barn. And some of the thoughts that, this may be, get a little uh, controversial, but one of the questions we wanted for you uh, talking about in those Grand Drives, what are your thoughts on the quote-unquote minor breeds that never get it done in the Grand Drive, or at least very rarely? Uh, yeah. and, and do you think there's a preconceived idea that, okay, those breeds don't matter anyway, or they're not good enough anyway. And that, that judge already knows that before the cattle even get in the ring or what, what is your Uh, thoughts on that matter?
2: Well, it's, it's a honest, natural tendency to gravitate towards your favorite breeds. It's not intentional. That's, that's just a common sense approach to it. If you're an Angus breeder, you're going to look at the, the champion Angus heifer twice. If you're a shorthorn breeder, you're going to look at the shorthorn uh, uh, female a little harder. So I don't think it's uh, anything that isn't honest. Uh, it, it's not intentional. It just is what it is. Um, so I do think that happens a little bit. You get people who, uh, um, uh, then you, you, so you've got that going on. Then you've got another group that might get a little trendy and think, well, this breed's hot. Mm. You know, or these breeds are hot. So um, there's a little bit of that going on yeah um but i think it's on the whole i really do i think it's a uh just a natural tendency to gravitate towards the breed you like and it doesn't mean they're going to pick them but it it happens a little more often you know Mm -hmm. um yeah really on that subject i think what is almost more of uh controversial is um you know you've seen a lot of people and we have purebred cattle and we have um you know, uh, whether it's a percentage key or, or a short horn plus, you know, we've had uh, great luck with winning Supremes with them two breeds too. And we've had great rocks with women Supremes with purebred animals, but you see some judges make the comment that it should be a purebred animal mm. or it should be best of the breed. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, you know, um, unless they change the banner, uh, it, it's supposed to be the Supreme champion female. Right. And th- that's what it says on that banner, you know, and and, and um, you can't handicap a breed that is naturally of lesser quality, but it is the best animal, that breed you've ever seen. She still isn't as good as them other breeds. Right. Right. So you said, oh, that is the best one of that breed I've ever seen. I'm going to pick her. But that is not what the banner says. The banner says Supreme Champion Female. That is the best animal out there, regardless of any breed. OK, I can't golf as good as as good as uh, anybody. I'm the world's worst golfer, you know. But um, so uh, if I'm not on a golf course with my buddies, I'm they're not going to give me a handicap. Right. You know, and so uh, that's how I, I, I viewed I viewed that. And that's that's uh, to me a controversial uh, point in our industry that you could visit about is um, it shouldn't have to be a purebred animal. Cause it doesn't say Supreme champion purebred, It shouldn't have to be uh, this outstanding one for its breed. It says Supreme champion female right on that banner. And that is the best animal that's out there. Mm-hmm.
1: Along the same lines, it's been brought up. Uh, I've had conversations with several folks, you know, friends in the cattle business that, you know, they, they, they often talk about, you know, um, the relevance of certain breeds um, to, to the real world. and, and that, you know, should some of those even be considered. Um, you know, yeah. if you feel like there's not a relevance there. So yeah. yeah.
2: There's there's so many good cattle. You know, that argument right now, there is so many good cattle and so many, in every breed. I yep. mean, there is a top end of every every breed. Um, you could have made that argument maybe 10, 15 years ago. There was some there were some breeds that were um, lacking. I mean, I think on the whole, oh my gosh, you know that credit to the, to the, um, breeders, you know, and, and I think, um, IVF reverse sort, you know, is, 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 uh, changed the world too. You know, okay. it's made it more competitive because there's more females of the particular matings that you want born. Hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a quicker path and more opportunistic path of I'm going to get six heifers instead of three bulls and three heifers out of this mating.
0: One more Swift break in the action with our great guest, John Sullivan. But we need to keep telling you about our amazing friends over at Legacy Livestock Imaging. Folks, not only do they photo livestock, but I've been seeing some amazing engagement photos, wedding photos, senior pictures, and these prints on their website. Holy buckets. You need to check it out. LegacyLivestockImaging.com and book your next event with Legacy Livestock Imaging. They're incredible. I don't know what magic they put on these photos, but it happens week in and week out. LegacyLivestockImaging.com.
1: Hey Trevor, somebody once told me that we should put holy buckets on a t-shirt for the show. Let's do it. That's an easter egg and we'll keep it in here. Done. I got to ask, this wasn't on our outline, John, so don't hate me, but I got it. This this will be a tough one. This may be like trying to Pick your favorite kid, but what's one of your all-time favorite show heifers that you guys have, have exhibited?
2: Oh, I had to do it. <laughs> um, I don't know. Nate Tice told me that since the uh, uh, the other day that since 2007 we've had nine supreme champions in Louisville. We either showed or or um, raised um and they're all there's there's been some elite ones and that's a, that's the Kentucky Derby of cattle shows in my opinion you know it's pretty pretty awesome you know that the north american has been a uh, a good thing for people in the livestock industry just that facility and how they run that show and so forth hmm. um and it, it it's it sits in in a, a Mecca where everybody can get there for the most part, 12 hours, 13 hours, you know, sits in the in show cattle mecca. Kentucky isn't isn't necessarily maybe the show cattle mecca of it, though no, they have very good cattle there, but um it's close enough there, but he kind of participates in around around the United States. Right. But um, you know, I don't know. Uh Luke Elder, uh, that'd be John Elder's son, or Cattle manager here had a heifer a few years ago that was that was uh, pretty incredible. I don't even know what it was. She was a Huda Man sixty six forty. That was um, boy, she was way ahead of her time as far as being an incredible animal. Um, uh, then I'll, I'll get down to two of Sarah's probably um, the one heifer she showed this year. She she'd be mad at me if I wouldn't say one of hers anyway. <laughs> uh, but uh, Sarah's heifer she showed this year. Uh, the low percentage scimitol heifer from that RJ cattle raised would be up there. That heifer was uh, uh, high-end all year long, and um, she was just kind of an outlier but but still had all the practical pieces to her, and she was, she was supreme in Louisville this year. That was a pretty outstanding heifer from beginning to end. It was we, we knew she was special. We didn't show her the first part of the year, and we knew she was pretty special. That was hard but we were just trying to uh, gear her for a uh, a separate part of the show season a little bit, but I, and I'd say I'll throw a third one in there. And this Heifer never won a Supreme champion. Um, The Heifer two years ago that Sarah showed, she was champion AOB in Kansas city and, um, and was champion uh, uh, AOB, I think in Louisville, it was both shows. Um, But that was it. Uh, just an unbelievable. that might've been as many compliments of any animal we ever had. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and you know, she didn't get, uh, uh, I think that was the only two shows we showed her at. No, well, we showed her in Denver too. She was champion key in Denver, but we didn't get any, um, we didn't win the big banners with her, you know, just kind of how, uh, that's tough out there. You know, there's a lot of other good heifers too. So,
1: right. Definitely. That's yeah, a tough that's question, tough. Corey. You kind of put him right on the spot there. Hey, you know, if anything, I'm here for the hard questions. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm no, I'm I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that I asked that because you know you, you think about uh, you know from my perspective and and a lot of others our age you, know, you kind of look at just the amount of, I mean like you said nine nine Louisville champions and since 2007 that's that's a heck of a run um, and and you know you talk about uh, the unbreakable records you know like Wilt Chamberlain's underpoint point game or or uh, you know Hank Aaron's legitimate home run record. Um, sorry to you, Barry Bonds fans, or uh, no, Mark McGuire. Sorry, yeah, whoever it was. Anyway, uh, but you know that that's one of those things that you just you, you love to hear um, because you get to hear a lot of judges' comments, a lot of industry comments, but you never really get to hear it from uh, from the folks that actually showed and exhibited and and raised those livestock. So, yeah,
2: um. uh, them them three are they'd be pretty close to a tie. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'd give the edge to the one this year cuz she was um we we kind of sh- we showed her for um from uh, she was pretty elite uh from July on, you know, all the way through. So that's hard to do nowadays. That's that's um we talked about, you know, how you separate yourself a show cattle and I think uh, uh one of it is genetics and, you know, and care and 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 taking care of them for the long haul. And, you know, maybe the third element of that now it's so competitive is uh, targeting that animal for this 60 day window, you know, or this 90 day window because it's so competitive and you can maybe get them on a little bit of uh, uh freshness, you know, rather than try to go the whole year. It's, it's um, just to ever so slightly advantage that you can kind of position yourself, but it, that takes, um, you know, that takes, tremendous uh, uh i mean you're you're you want to get this you know you got one so you want to get it out there right So <laughs> yep, yep. uh, that that's that's hard that's restricts you a little there
0: <laughs> oh that's good well uh i will uh stick the last question here uh and one we've asked every guest this season um and this this has been a wide topic of discussion. Uh and it's been a really fun one for Corey and I to sit back and kind of listen. Uh, but the last question we have for you, John, is uh, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned while being involved in the stock show industry?
2: Um from from a parent's perspective, I know what it is, you know. Um if you can we were very, very aware of, um, uh, for instance, when Sarah started showing, she started showing at eight, okay, and um, they have a little local fair here in Dunlap. It's long-standing tradition, a lot of good show cattle families around here, and this little show has a bucket calf show, okay, and um, we wanted her to experience at the beginning Every level, just like I did with my family. Okay, and we didn't want her to just, you know, if, if parents can kind of again, there's you got all these competitive people and they're wanting to get right in there right away. I'm I'm unbelievable competitiveness, and I I just respect the heck out of competitive people. But there's a time and a place for it, and when when your kids younger, if you can let it happen a little more natural. I think you've it's like they they buy in for themselves. You know, it's the kid then does it for themselves, you know. So we kind of naturally let that progression go. And I mean, I'll never forget that, that we went in a few times. I actually wouldn't let her show at it the first couple of years. I just took her in and let her watch it. And then I, I let her beg me. The second year she begged me to show at us this feeder, this bucket calf show. It's not even a feeder calf show. Okay. <laughs> and she's watching, she's going in there and she's watching all of her friends. And we just went in I made sure we went together. Okay. And year two, she's begging me to, to show a bucket calf the next year. Yep. We got one. Okay. She went in there and she did, she did a, uh, as much of her own work as possible and banged around in there. Okay. And we did that for a couple of years. Then we showed a feeder calf. Okay, then she knew that what showing was all about, and had to get a little more serious about it. But we still did not go to uh, major shows. Um, No, I think it was when she was about—I'm going to say ten or eleven—we went to the national a national junior heifer show. Okay, we took a fall heifer, or no, we took a January heifer calf, a small animal. You know, we kept the animals small so it never didn't get intimidating. Okay. Um, we were all in so much around this farm and everybody had been around cattle at a high level our entire lives, but I just wanted her experience back to the basics a little bit. And I didn't want, and she'd heard us talk about cattle or livestock supply business and everything since the day she's born. And I've seen that backfire on people, you know, and I've seen parents get so aggressive that it, it turned into their projects instead of the kids. Mm-hmm. And that is just like the last thing I was going to do. And, she, you know, she went the first, honestly, until she was in the fifth grade, this is the first time we let her show what I'd call a high-quality animal. And we even let her walk in the ring when she went to that first Junior National. It, she was kind of a greener showman. And we we wanted that by nature because it, it it's almost kind of seems odd, but a lot of the kids that are elite showmen when they're, when they're 10 and 12, they almost, by the time they're 15 or 16, it seemed like they quit listening. Mm. And we wanted to slowly kind of develop that. With her a little bit, you know, and and she kept working her craft, and it was it was natural, and it kind of neat to see because it was something she wanted. It wasn't us pushing her. So we started a little greener, you know. It was it wasn't until the fifth grade that we really let her have a animal good enough to compete with at a state level. And then in sixth grade, she got you know she then she then we got kind of national level. And then oh boy, then it, then we got into it quick. Don't get me wrong, but it was kind of like she she hit the switch and said she was ready it wasn't us you know so um natural progression so parents could do that i think that is how a kid truly enjoys it, the industry and how they stay in for their whole life you know and then um from the supply standpoint i mean it's just kind of like um, give back i mean if you truly love this industry you know give back i don't care if you're a, a cattle salesman if you're a show supply salesman if you have knowledge um, uh, be supportive and, and give back it isn't always about money it's just try just effort time uh, information you know it, it's interesting that there is a there is true that most of the people you know that started in this industry that are really good a lot of them did start at the bottom you know and and then about the third thing i'd say is to you know thank people who are um, truly in this, who are truly, uh, in this industry that are, there's so many, like right now it's going on. Who's, who's our superheroes for 2020? I mean, besides the, uh, the, uh, human health services, how about people starting these livestock shows that are volunteers? I mean, how, how awesome is that? Ohio livestock expo, Wisconsin expo, Indiana and Iowa state fairs, you know, 4-H departments and, and uh, beef superintendent volunteers. I mean, junior national advisors scrambling to add their um, schedules and look for different locations that's, that was more workable for them. I mean, what what an incredible group of people that just um, some of them don't make any money and others aren't very well paid. And, and they're just fighting for something they believe in and love. Mm. And thank them people is what I'm getting at. I don't think they get people putting on livestock shows really get enough thanks. They, they hear all the bad. Mm, you know yep, yep. You, you're going to junior nationals and state fairs this summer i mean parents and and kids thank the people busting their hind end putting them things on you bet
1: couldn't agree more
0: boy good stuff there uh took some parroting notes and boy do i uh the other two i i agree heartedly. so uh john thanks so much for jumping on the show uh we love hearing the stories of how uh such a shining brand as uh, Sullivan, both in the farm and in the supply. Uh, it's so, so fun to hear those stories. So thanks for jumping on here, and we look forward in to get this one out to our listeners.
2: Hey, Trevor and Corey, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys.
0: You bet. Thanks, John. What an amazing story, and uh, one that uh, can be told. I don't know if it's been told many places, or at least I haven't seen it, Corey, but, uh, boy, I enjoyed it. And uh, a guy that's kind of built from the ground up, Not only in the cattle deal, but in the supply. Um, Seems like tail adhesive is a stronghold to that deal. Um, For sure.
1: So how about that? Uh, I mean, again, I don't know how many times this is going to happen. Probably for the rest of the time that the podcast is alive and living. Uh, But you talk about humble beginnings. Mm -hmm. And and, he kind of said it in there
0: too. You know, those who had humble beginnings. They know how hard it was to get where they are.
1: Yep. Awesome. Uh, great philosopher. Yes. Great cattleman.
0: I like the teaching at the end there. Uh, definitely going to keep that in the arsenal.
1: Yeah, 100%. That's, uh, that's real good stuff. That's real, real good stuff. And, you know, I I think as uh, livestock enthusiasts, we can all appreciate the quality of interview that that was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Across DC.
0: Well, don't forget, if you have hog, sheep, or goats... Um, Buckeye Livestock Expo is happening, uh, at the Holmes County Fairgrounds in Ohio, June 27th, 28th. Looking That's forward right.
1: To uh, folks, we are showing livestock across the country. Live shows are happening. It's incredible. Things are picking up and I will say things did look a little grim for a while, but folks we're back in the ring. It's exciting times. Good luck to those of you that are traveling to junior nationals here coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh you know we're we're really looking forward to to all things um to all things show stock related that, uh-huh. that's taking place in 2020 so please if you i don't know if you're listening to the show for the first time how you've not found us on facebook or somewhere uh maybe you just randomly click through and maybe you just had somebody talk to you and say hey you should go listen to the stock talk well those things are great and all however if you could Go follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. We have a talk TikTok, but we're not doing anything with it yet. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. talk talk TikTok. Anyway, uh, give us a like, follow, share, uh, recommendation, constructive criticisms. Always welcome. Just send it to our inbox so not everybody has to read it. That's social media etiquette, just for anybody that cares. Anyway. Yep.
0: The uh whatever. those of you in the showman. Um, I just got the last bit of the award sent out. Oh. So if you are in Ohio and plan to come to the Bucket Livestock Expo, I haven't sent those because I figure you guys would come. So anyways, if you're part of the showman, um, they have been sent. They are out of my hands now. They are in the hands of the USPS. So anyways, guys, um, uh, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for your love and support through a tough time. Uh, It's been amazing to see the outpour of prayer and uh, phone calls, text messages. Our support team is 100% amazing. So um, even if you're not, uh, if you didn't catch last week's episode, uh, we love your support of this show. So keep listening, keep telling your friends if you haven't already, and we will catch you next week.